0: Science story,
1: huh? Is uh, a scientist right, felt I, so I just felt well? I figured it wow. out. It was that tall. golden moment because science was on my side. Hey everybody, welcome to the Story Collider, where we bring you true personal stories about science. I am your host, Aaron Barker. And to cap off our Pride Month celebration this June, we're including this special bonus Pride episode. So today I'm bringing you two extra stories, one that's brand new and one from our back catalog about coming out in science. Our first story is from Charlie Cook. It was recorded in May 2018 at the Fox Cabaret in Vancouver as part of our official launch out there. The theme that night was Sense of Self.
0: I get misgendered a lot. People look at me and think that I'm a woman, when in fact, I am a swarm of bees. (laughs) Really, I'm a non-binary trans person, but it would honestly be a lot easier if I was a swarm of bees, because then people would be like, oh, Charlie's gender's on the endangered species list. Aww. Or, ah, I was stung by Charlie's gender once, so now I give it a lot of space. Or their gender is really scary to me, but I respect the uh, importance to the ecological systems of our Earth that this gender provides, so I respect their ability to live freely in the world. It's uh, pretty exhausting to be a trans person on a daily basis. When strangers catcall me, it's because they assume that I am a sexy lady. When servers are trying to be polite, they'll usually call me ma'am or miss. And if I don't make a case for it beforehand when I'm performing, the assumption is always that I'm a woman and I lose valuable minutes of my stage time defending my identity. For a long time, I pretended that I was just a cis woman and that that made me happy. But it's 2016, and I'm talking to a friend about acting and about the things that I want to get to do that I don't feel authentically able to do. And this friend suggests that they start calling me they-them pronouns, and it's kind of like a series of... Things all just kind of fit into place. All of these ways that I haven't really felt connected to myself, all these ways that I've felt uneasy in the world just kind of go away. And um, it makes it really important for me to find spaces where I can feel safe. I start hanging out with a lot more queer people who are less likely to slip up my pronouns, I start dating people who aren't going to box me into one gender role or the other, and I decide to come out at work. I'm fairly lucky, other than the whole trans people being marginalized and pushed off to the fringes of society thing. I'm lucky because I work in the science and education field, and on average, those people tend to be a little bit more accepting than the daily public when you spend your time disproving anti-vaxxers, dispelling flat earth theories, or just trying to keep two kids from killing each other, you've got a lot less time to worry about what's going on between people's legs. But this doesn't mean that I was any less scared to come out to my coworkers and bosses who'd known me for too long as a woman. So I work with kids at Science World, and it's this really great opportunity to Bring a role model to this community who kids probably normally don't get to interact with. You know, because most kids don't go to dispensaries or tattoo parlors, so they've never met an employed person with colorful hair and a septum ring. <laughs> I start an email to my coworkers and my bosses. I title it The Pronouncement. And then I stare at my email box for about an hour, trying to find the right way to phrase my small, tiny request that would be cool if it's not too much of an inconvenience to people to just maybe kind of, I'd really like it if people started using my pronouns. And my hands are shaking, I'm sweating through my shirt, and I send it. The response I get back is kind of a more professional equivalent of, okay. (laughs) for all of the fear that I had built up really didn't give me all that much. And really, I think that's because science is all about challenging assumptions. And it's about things that are outside the gender binary. You can't study hermaphroditic snails or fish that start their lives as male and transition to become female later in their life and believe that there are two, three, four, any number of finite genders. I construct a hypothesis. How will seven-year-olds react to the presentation of a person who is outside of the gender binary and how will they handle they, them pronouns? I decide that for eight weeks of summer camps, I am going to come out to the children that I am working with as non-binary and just see how that goes. The other week, I met an adult, and in our conversation, I found myself going, they, 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 like a broken pronoun record, until this person finally clued in that I was saying something to them and went, I'm sorry, what is a they? So I didn't have very high hopes for telling a bunch of seven-year-olds. Granted, my control group is the men I work with in the stand-up comedy field, and they're a little less mature than the seven-year-olds that I teach. So at least I had that going. I'm sitting in this group, uh, this circle, with these children who have never met me before, And for all I know, their parents believe that people like me are out to corrupt them with the homosexual agenda. And I start by asking them if they know what a pronoun is. A few of them do. And so I present them with the activity, respecting my identity and the instructions, use they, them pronouns when referring to me. We're in the galleries at Science World. I'm running around trying to keep track of all these kids, making sure nothing gets broken. And one of these kids comes up to me. And I always get kind of conflicted when kids ask me if I'm a boy or a girl. Because partly, why does any stranger, let alone a child, need to know the shape of my genitals? But on the other hand, if my mere presence somewhere prompts a child to question what they know about the gender binary, then I kind of feel like I'm doing something right. So this kid asks me if I'm a boy or a girl, and I tell them, I'm neither. But everyone's a boy or a girl. No, some people are neither. Some people are boys. Some people are girls. Some people are a bit of both oh, so someone could start their life as a boy and then become a girl? This kid was six years old, and in the span of a few short words, they went from believing that gender was a rigid thing, which gets prescribed to all of us before we've even drawn a frickin' breath, to seeing gender as a personal spectrum. I started to feel safer in the group I was in. I realized that even if this kid didn't fully understand it, even if they didn't get my pronouns right half the time, this kid didn't call me gross, didn't tell me that it was just really hard for them to wrap their head around this concept, or that they-them pronouns just didn't really make sense in a singular way, which are all things that adults have told me. So I went on. Every week, I would come out to these kids, um, wondering if this was eventually going to be the time that one of them told me I was going to hell. And to keep my mind off of this impending transphobia, I started coming up with variables for my experiment. What would happen if, instead of asking kids to use they-them pronouns, I focused on the fact that I'm not a boy or a girl, What would happen if instead of calling the kids guys, we referred to them as friends or scientists? What would happen if I gave a table of boys pink goggles to wear during their experiments? The answer is, if you don't make a big deal out of it, kids don't really care. But over the course of the summer, I still got pretty tired. Imagine for a moment that you love bees. But for some reason, people wherever you go, usually before actually talking to you, look at you and assume that you hate bees. And no matter how many times you correct them, people keep forgetting this and keep insisting that you must hate bees, that you are a person who hates bees. And you can remind people over and over again that no, you love bees. You can try and make changes to your appearance and start wearing accessories, which might better indicate to people that you love bees and people that you work with on a daily basis might still forget that you're trans, I mean, love bees. I got worn down by the system, if you will. I wear a chest-compressing binder. It helps to flatten my chest and create a more androgynous appearance in exchange for squishing the air out of my lungs. And even with my tits in this fucking jail, parents would still refer to me as she. That just doesn't seem fair. So eventually I get tired of fighting for myself, of being the only one saying anything. So when a kid in an older summer camp points at me and says, is that a boy or a girl? Instead of educating him, I walk away. I work at a summer camp in order to teach kids about science, to play with them and keep them safe. Not to be a show-and-tell of another gender. And as I'm walking away, I hear a kid go, well, Charlie is neither a boy or a girl. They're a person. And I try to treat every kid that I work with equally, but that kid may or may not have gotten a bit of special treatment that week. (laughs) I started feeling bolder. Later that day, we're building with blocks um, and creating these big towers, and a kid refers to me as she. And normally I'd let this slide, but this time I asked this kid if they could stop calling me that because it doesn't make me feel good. And instead of telling me no or that I was wrong, they said, yeah, yeah, you're, you're not that, you're, you're a person. So the summer was ending, and it was time for me to analyze my data from this experiment. While not every kid walked away from that camp um, using my correct pronouns or really getting it, maybe, I felt safer coming out to these kids as who I am than I've ever really felt coming out to a room full of cis adults. No offense to all of you. And ultimately that's why letting trans people exist whether you're a scientist or a friend or anywhere in your life is important because I'm not a swarm of bees, I'm a person.
1: Charlie Cook. Charlie is a non binary stand up comedian by night and a non binary science educator by day. Their favorite topics include queer theory, entomology, and outer space. On a personal note, I was lucky enough to be up in Vancouver for this show and I got to hear Charlie tell their story in person. And it really made me think a lot about my own vocabulary and the ways it influences my thinking and others around me. And so I've started making an effort to stop saying, you guys and other phrases that feel like they put an unnecessary emphasis on gender. In fact, I've actually reverted back to my old ways and started saying y'all, again, don't tell my mother. And it's not because I think that people who say you guys are bad people or anything like that, but because I think Charlie makes an interesting point about how gendered our language really is. And now that I've started noticing it, I'm seeing it everywhere. So I really appreciate that Charlie was brave enough to share that story and to challenge my thinking and hopefully the thinking of other people as well. Our second story today is from Shale Matsuda. It was recorded in 2014 as part of our show with the Bay Area Science Festival. And it originally aired on our podcast in November 24th of that year.
2: So I'm a marine biology graduate student. And I'm in the Philippines on my very first scientific expedition. And we're all at our lab benches, and we're going over our specimens. Everyone's working really hard. And then all of a sudden, I hear it from across the room. Oh, what, what, what's this species? I've never heard of this before. And the room gets quiet. Quiet and my heart sinks into my stomach. Because you see, I know what happened. Earlier that day, I'd given him a list of all the uh, different scientific names of the the creatures that we had collected, and I had spelled one of the scientific names wrong. Now, why was this such a big deal, right? And it wasn't just my, my first expedition as a scientist. It was my first expedition as a man. You see, I'm transgender, and at that point, I was at the very beginning of my transition. And so this really was a big defining moment for me. It was these two large threads of my life kind of colliding at the same point. I was trying to prove myself as a scientist, but I was also trying to be accepted as one of the guys. Now, rewind like seven months. It was my uh, end of my first year as, as a graduate student, and I was finally able to start really seeing a future for myself in science. And this funny thing happens when you're happy, you start picking up on all the things that are actually missing in your life. And it was kind of through that time that I really started coming to peace with the knowledge that I was never gonna be truly happy until I lived on the outside as I'd always felt on the inside, until I transitioned. And now this wasn't like a really new thing. Like I had I'd struggled with gender for a long time, but as a scientist, you know, I was always like looking for some evidence. I was like, are you sure? Is there proof? Like, do you really know this is you? And, and that evidence didn't ever come, but the clarity did. And with the clarity came fear. I mean, transitioning is is a really scary thing in its own, but I was really scared about what this would mean for me in science, I mean, especially science, not necessarily in San Francisco. So I did the next logical thing, and I googled transgender scientists to see who was out there. And Wikipedia told me that there were uh, 14 transgender scientists, 12 of them were male to female, two of them were female to male like me, one of those two was dead, but the other one lived in California, which meant that there was hope. And, and so afterwards, I, I began the process of coming out. And I would had a lot of experience doing that as a lesbian. But like I was saying, like this whole idea of like proof, I was like, this is my girlfriend, this is evidence, right? But when you're coming out as transgender, it's just you. And you're, you're the evidence that you're asking people to look at and support. and. So I came out to my advisor through through an essay for a grant. I, I handed him this essay and I said, We should probably talk about this. I'll I'll be right back. And I gave it to him and I went away and I was kind of pacing around upstairs, like really sweating my palms. And when you know about twenty minutes had passed, I, I went back downstairs and around the corner and I saw him. He was standing in, in the doorway to his office, and as I walked up, he greeted me with the biggest smile. And and from there I started coming out to everyone in my department one at a time. Now it's three months before the Philippines trip and I start hormone replacement therapy and I have my first shot of testosterone. So going back up to the Philippines. So I'm at the airport. I've got you know, all my dive gear. I have um, my passport, which still has like my old gender marker on it. I've got syringes, and I'm like ready to go battle the TSA. But I get through the airport, and I get to the Philippines, and I join the expedition. And I, what I didn't realize is that I had no idea what to expect. So day one, we're about to go on our first dive. And I realize I don't have any of the right gear. Like, I don't have a bag to collect the specimens in. I don't have any little jars to put them in. I don't have the right tools. I don't even know what the right tools are. So I'm, like, running around the lab trying to, like, grab anything I can while everyone else is loading up the boats. I get in the boat. We get out to the dive site. We go into the water, and we're descending into a world that I, like, couldn't barely even imagine before. The water is clear. There's, like, bright-colored fish, corals. It's fantastic. But all of this excitement starts to fade as we get to the bottom and I realize, I don't know how to find sea slugs. So I study sea slugs uh, for my research and at the Academy of Sciences, you know, where, where I do my work, it's really easy to find them. They're right in the jars. And in the ocean... You know, the, the brightly colored animals, they don't really stand out because everything's brightly colored. So I'm starting to swim around and getting a little nervous. I mean, like 10 minutes passed. And I'm like, what if I can't find these things? Can I keep studying, Can I keep studying them? Like, is this going to be okay? And then I find one. I see one. It's right over there. I swim over. I open my goodie bag. And all of a sudden, all of those little jars that I forgot to put water in are, like, trying to float to the surface. I'm grabbing the jars. I'm, like, trying to keep my eye on the slug over there because I'm, like, I'm going to get that guy. And, you know, I get everything back in. I get the slug in the jar. The dive ends. Like everything's fine, and I go up to my advisor, and I have this bag of these like big, bright color slugs, and I'm like really proud of myself. And he's like, he looks in this bag, and he's like, you know, like, okay, like that one's common, common. Oh, I saw a few of those down there too, and like everything I'd found was was like pretty common. And so I was like, oh man. And he's like, look for the really small white ones, and I'm like, I could barely find these huge colorful ones, but I'm like, okay, it's fine. So I take the slugs over to my lab station, and I, I just start processing them. And what I've got at my table is I have, like, this big Tupperware bin that they're in, and I have, like, forceps and, like, you know, tweezers. And I'm trying to move these really tiny, fragile animals around, and it's taking a really long time. And so I kind of look over my shoulder and I see what my advisor's doing. Now he's got completely different tools than me. So he's using like an eyedropper, a plastic spoon, and those little uh, food containers they give you on the airplane. And I'm watching him and he's using the spoons to like scoop the slugs up very gently and the eyedroppers to get the little ones. And putting them in a small dish makes it a lot easier to kind of keep track of those small ones that we're supposed to be finding. So I spend the rest of the week like following everyone around at lunch after they eat their mango ice cream and like, grabbing their spoons and building my toolkit. <laughs> And you know, and, and so I'm starting to like figure out like how this really works, how this field work goes. Yeah. Now, being in the field means that you spend a lot of time with everybody. And when I came out at at the museum. It was easy for people to kind of just like avoid pronouns for me all together. Like, we didn't interact a whole lot while we were at work. But when you're in the field, you find out that yes, like pronouns are a really big deal, really big thing that we use a lot. And I was getting like she'd all the time. Or sometimes I'd be in a conversation and this person would be saying he, this person would be saying she, and I was sitting there wondering. I was like, do you know? Have I told you yet? Are you listening to each other? And it was a lot of thinking on the fly about like what what I was supposed to do and there was a lot of people on that trip from, like, University of the Philippines, from other institutions in the United States, like, experts in their field. And I was trying to, like, prove myself as this, like, scientist. And it, it, it was a very, it was a little bit challenging, to say the least. And, and it even affected kind of the way that I was feeling about myself as a scientist. So someone would say, you know, oh, yeah, Shale did a really good job collecting those sea slugs. And I'd be like, yeah. And then they'd be like, she, and I'd be like, ah. And really, though, more than the way that other people thought of me, what was really getting to me was how I was seeing myself. You see, like at this point, I'd only been on testosterone for three months. My voice had just barely started to change, and it was before I had chest surgery. And it's really hard to ask people to see something in you that you're having a hard time seeing yourself. It's also hard to hide your body in a wetsuit. So when I would go diving, I would be wearing like briefs, board shorts, A chest binder, two swim shirts, a rash guard, and a full-body wetsuit. Now, walking around in this, I felt like the Hulk, but really what I looked like was just kind of like a lumpy scuba diver that everyone probably thought was overheating. And this followed me on land, too. So we had roommates, right? And I had been assigned to room with another graduate student from the University of the Philippines, but it turned out that he couldn't make the trip. So I found out one morning that I was uh, getting room with someone from the academy in in exhibits who I'd never met before had had definitely not told that I was transgender. And so he shows up, and I'm kind of thinking, like, should I say something? Like, how do you, like, I don't know why. If he's going to be uncomfortable, then, like, I mean, I can't really do anything about it. Um, It also happened to be a shot day, and so I saw him having a drink at the bar. I was like, great, I'm gonna go upstairs, give myself a shot of testosterone, think about this a little more, come up with a plan. So, you know, I go upstairs, and I'm like in my room, my pants are down, I have the syringe in my hand, I'm about to stick it in my leg, and I hear the door open, I hear sorry, and I'm like, it's okay, we probably should talk about something, and... (laughs) And the next day is when I spell that scientific name wrong. And so things started out a little bit rocky. But just like the tides with time, things began to change. When I'd be scuba diving, I could identify the species of slugs underwater. I knew which ones we were looking for. I was like developing like sea slug eye. It's like a sixth sense, like I swear. Like you know, you out of the corner of your eye, you like see that patch of algae moving and you just like you know that there's one in there. And I was finding all those really small ones and getting really good at it. I was also getting stronger because right before I left for the Philippines, I'd gotten the thumbs up from my doctors to increase my testosterone to a full dose. Now that effectively doubled the amount of hormones I was on. So that in combination with diving every day and like lifting a lot of stuff, like I was actually starting to bulk up and that improved my confidence and it kind of helped me have these conversations about my transition with a lot more of my colleagues. And then finally, I'd heard the words, i have been like waiting to hear all expedition. So my advisor's, like, sitting there over the microscope, looking at one of those, like, really small little white slugs that I'd found. And he's like, ah, this one's new. And I'm all, like, you know, on the outside, I'm like, cool, you know, whatever. But on the inside, you know, I'm like, I just hit the biodiversity jackpot. So that was my first, you know, undescribed species of slug. And so I was feeling pretty good. And, like, we were all kind of starting to get into the flow and there's this funny thing about being like, in the field that, like, that really brings you closer. It's like those long nights sharing a drink after like, you know, processing a ton of specimens. And the she's started to turn into she-he corrections. And then finally just into he. And I was learning to relax and to just be comfortable in who I was. We were all learning. And what I was really realizing is that this journey wasn't something that I was going on alone. You see, this was something that was new for everyone, and we were all figuring it out together. So the end of the trip was near, and they were all getting ready to move on to their third site, and I was getting ready to kind of take off on my own for a week. And I was going around, and I was saying my goodbyes. Now, finally, my van pulls up, and I'm about to grab my bag. And that guy who, you know, called me out for the misspelling of the scientific name walks up to me and he, you know, extends his hand. And as I take his hand, he looks me in the eye and he says, you're not going anywhere, young man. Thank you.
1: That was Shale Matsuda. Shale is a coral biologist currently pursuing his PhD at the Gates Coral Lab at the Hawaii Institute of Marine Biology. The Story Collider is grateful for the support of the Tiffany & Co. Foundation and of Science Sandbox, the Simons Foundation initiative dedicated to engaging everyone with the process of science. The Story Collider is directed by Liz Neely and me, Erin Barker, with help from our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Kayla Glenn, Armin Mortizavi, Ben Lilly, and me, Aaron Barker. The Story Collider is directed by Liz Neely and Aaron Barker, with help from our amazing team. The stories featured in today's podcast were from shows produced by Kayla Glenn, Armin Mortizavi, Cassie Soliday, and Audrey Kearns. The podcast is produced by Zoe Saunders. The theme music is by Ghost. Special thanks to the Fox Cabaret and the Rickshaw Stop for hosting these shows and to everyone celebrating Pride and STEM. Thanks for listening.